Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Really just focusing on the problem you're trying to solve as an organisation rather than the way you want to solve it because sometimes the way you want to solve it comes from a lived experience and a personal experience, which is amazing, but there may also be someone else out there doing exactly the same thing. So by setting up a duplicate business, you're actually taking resources and putting them into admin and duplication, triplication, and uh, then competing and cannibalising the marketplace by competing for the same dollars. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 429 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah, and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering, and contributing to initiatives and enterprises that are causing positive transformation, both locally and globally. Today, we're speaking with Justin McDonald. Justin is a dynamic and transformative leader who is making a significant impact in the business world and beyond. As a senior leader, innovator, project manager, and business builder, Justin's expertise spans multiple sectors, including property development, project management, construction, banking and finance, social enterprise, and the not-for-profit sector. Justin's passion for creating pathways for people with disabilities to purchase their own homes is a testament to his commitment to empowering marginalised communities. He served on several boards for social impact organisations, worked in the Research of Development Impact Network and Enactus Australia, advocating for people facing barriers to employment and access to services. Justin is also an inspiring next generation change maker, teaching courses at QUT and serving as an ambassador for Epic Assist, a disability employment service provider championing the rights of people with disabilities to participate fully in the workforce. On today's podcast, we will discuss some of Justin's key learnings from a lifetime of being a social entrepreneur, as well as what Justin sees for the future of the social enterprise movement. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure. To start off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what it is that has led to where you are now? Absolutely. I started my first business when I was seven, so I was a bit of a late starter. Surprisingly, it was a social impact business without even knowing what a social impact business was. So I was collecting cans at the footy ground and, yeah, it was more funding my Lego habit now than anything else. So since the start of seven, I've always been curious about business and my background's really around, I've got banking and finance background, construction, projects, property, and now run a consulting and a disability housing business too. So that's, I guess, where the, the foundation of my career is. Looking back through my career, there's always been a common theme about helping people and having a social impact and lens through it. Banking was always in credit unions, building societies, volunteering and those sort of things. So how I ended up where I am now, that was a journey where I met one of my favourite people in the world, Lisa Siganto and Luke Terry, and I was completing my master's degree at QUT and they invited me to come into White Box to analyse some potential initiatives they were looking to launch as a social enterprise. 
So I'd always been curious about purpose-driven businesses, but I didn't realize there was a thing called a social enterprise. So that's where it started. And then off the back of that, I've launched my consulting firms, which focuses purely on social impact businesses. Amazing. Is there any significant milestones in that journey that you would like to share? Yeah, I think uh, just realizing what social enterprise was and uh, weird that we call it a social enterprise for me, it just is good business. It just makes sense to do business that way. When I set up my consulting business, I really believe in paying it forward or creating a ripple. This year, we decided to donate $100,000 of pro bono or low bono consulting. We've still got a few months to go and I've got about 30,000 more to give away, (laughs) but we're working with four amazing organizations. One of my favorite milestones was I do a lot of mentoring work with people with disability entrepreneurs with disabilities specifically and we mentored one young chap called Finn who lives with autism and has some real challenges in public spaces and speaking and things so he went from really struggling to have a conversation to pitching in front of 400 people to win the young innovation award for the entire Moreton Bay region last year so that was like oh, a amazing. moment unlocking someone's potential is just the most amazing thing so got a real soft spot for entrepreneurs and then got an even more soft spot for entrepreneurs living with disability so Yeah, amazing. And can you share more about your work and what you're currently doing? Because I know you work across a few different spaces. So could you touch upon that and the impact that those different roles or places that you're playing in are generating? Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. Um, I guess when I set up the consulting firm, there were a few ways I was going to do it. I, I could either go out and set up my own social enterprise business or impact business, but I felt that I could actually create more impact and create more of a ripple by helping others along the way, like that helping hand or um, just leveling up everybody, I guess. I really wanted to use, I guess, my diverse range of skills from working all over the world in a whole range of sectors to really support businesses level up. So the three clients I typically support are either an organization that's got an idea and they just haven't worked out how to get it to market or what that looks like and sounds like. That's pretty common. Other ones, which is coming more common now, is I guess an organisation that's lost their recent funding through a grant initiative or a government support contract, and they're either looking at alternative revenue streams to help reduce their reliance on government grants or um, just making them a bit more financially resilient. That's becoming more common now as it gets a more competitive environment. And then the other client I work with is more where they've got a lot of capital or underutilised assets like property and just how they can mobilise that to really benefit society rather than sitting in a a bank account just earning interest. So they're the organisations I support and the organisations I'm working with at the moment, I'm working with a a beautiful broad range of anything from sustainable timber, um, doing some work in the homelessness and rough sleeping space, disability housing space because I do run a disability housing business and a lot of work around supporting pathways to employment for young adults facing barriers to the workplace along many others as well, but they're they're probably the main ones. I guess the causes I'm really passionate about are homelessness, rough sleeping, disability, mental health, justice and incarceration, and domestic violence are probably the main ones that I just would like to see eradicated or under control. Yeah, fantastic. Justin, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your work in the disability housing space. Yeah, of course. So I run an organisation called Just SDA Management. And we're what they call a specialist disability accommodation provider, an SDA provider, if you want to get into the acronyms, because that's what the NDS is all about. But what we do is we provide housing, essentially, for people at the really complex end of the NDS, so the top five or top six percent of complexity. And these are designed for people that can't live in typical mainstream housing because of accessibility for a wheelchair, potentially, but also maybe some psychosocial challenges, Um, visual impairment, hearing impairment, those sort of tools where we might use assistive technology, automation, voice recognition, 
or even eye gaze technology where you can actually adjust the temperature in a shower by using an eye. And that's what we do. I've been involved in that sector for about four or five years now. We've now got around 50 houses under management, which is fantastic. And just seeing the lives change as a result of this is just one of the most truly rewarding things I've ever done in my life. I did my thesis on this work, Sarah, when I did my master's degree. So my thesis was all around how can we use the funding from the NDIS to allow people with disability to own their own home, which is sadly the kind of set up in this system as a perpetual tenant. The legacy I'd love to leave is actually this home ownership model where they've got an asset to hand down through generations and just the benefits of breaking down the poverty cycle, financial dependence on government systems. And it's just a win for everybody, for the government, for individuals and those things. Any examples of what the benefits have been for the people who are living with disabilities and the difference that being in these houses that are designed for them, what does that look like? Uh, it's amazing. So I guess how the people end up in our properties are normally coming out of other places like public housing, which are really inaccessible. We've had people that haven't been able to access a bathroom for two years, so they can't even have a shower. They need to be sponge washed, which is just dehumanising. I've had people living in accommodation which has got mould all the way through, which is impacting the health even further for someone who's already immunocompromised. So some of these changes that you see, we're transitioning people out of either hospitals, aged care facilities, or public housing, as I said, and some of the changes have been amazing. So there was a, a young chap I worked with a couple of years ago He had some real challenges with managing his behaviour from a lot of traumas and everything he experienced in his life and pattern recognition and pattern behaviour was really important to him. So he was at a point where there were physical, like chemical restraints in place. So he's actually on medication to sedate him for 29 days a month, which is unheard of. There's a whole lot of issues that come for that, especially with recent articles. But over time, with the right housing environment, we created the foundation and the footprint for him to be in a safe place, which became his place. And then by implementing the right care and support team, which we didn't do, we just helped facilitate. We actually helped regulate and provide a safe environment for him to really thrive. And over time, they were able to work down his medication. He's actually no longer sedated, which is amazing. And now he's really contributing back to society and just living a really full life rather than being in in a chemical daze all the time. That's one example. One more recent example in the last couple of months was Josh. Joshy, love him. He's just moved out of inappropriate housing and an inappropriate care provider who caused some physical harm to him and a lot of trauma as a result. And, yeah, we moved him into his house a couple of months ago and he's absolutely buzzing. It's his forever home. He's already told us that. He's a massive Gold Coast Titans fan, so he's now got all these paintings and posters up on the wall and he's absolutely thriving. So just seeing him smile and not be in this PTSD state anymore, his mother cried when we moved him in and it's just been win after win every single day. Every time you go see him, he's loving it, so... He's just found his jam. So these are just some of the intangible pieces that we're starting to put some impact measurement frameworks around it so we can actually start to measure some of these benefits to communicate back to and report back to the community. Amazing. That's phenomenal. That's two of the nicer ones. There's a lot more horrible ones, but they're probably the nicest ones. Absolutely here. As a professional with this rich portfolio that you have and expertise that spans across different sectors, Could you share with us what are some of your key learnings from your journey in all these different spaces? Absolutely. I'd say that the common threads and themes are really just focusing on the problem you're trying to solve as an organisation rather than the way you want to solve it because sometimes the way you want to solve it comes from a lived experience and a personal experience, which is amazing, but there may also be someone else out there doing exactly the same thing. So by setting up a duplicate business, you're actually taking resources and putting them into admin and duplication, triplication, and uh, then competing and cannibalizing the marketplace by competing for the same dollars. 
If you look at the stats nationally, we've got 60,000 charities. I don't know if there's 60,000 causes. There probably are, but I think there might be a bit of duplication there. And I just wonder whether we focus more on the problem than the way the problem itself really solving it and just not being too picky in how we're putting our name and our branding there on it. That's probably a big key one. The other one is with businesses. I see a lot of people registering a business name, a website. They need a website apparently in an app uh, before they go up live. But not always the case. I think the, the first step really is just being really critical of your own business idea and ripping it apart, going beyond your friend circle and family circle that will always back you and champion you, but actually validate that in the broader market and conduct a deep analysis on others in the sector, looking at three different ways. I always do a three-point analysis. One is who's out in the marketplace solving the same problem in the exact same way. So who's a direct competitor? Who's solving the same problem, but in a different way? So they might be using a different tool, different product, different service. And then who's solving a similar problem either further up or further down the food chain or supply chain that might impact your market? So if you're working in a homelessness space, for example, and in a particular way, but if there's someone actually providing financial education and literacy, that may mean people less people in the homelessness world, which is amazing, but it might impact how your business works and where they focus. So they're the three lenses. Build the right team around you and just find a series of people that can fill in the gaps in your skill and depth of knowledge. And then just consider the most common one is probably the bootstrapping. Everyone loves to bootstrap a business and do it themselves, the hard yards, but really consider the time cost of money. So what I mean by that is, is there a task that's repeatable, mundane and administrative that is going to drain you away from winning a new client that might be a $5,000 or $10,000 client or new customer when you could be outsourcing that for $30 an hour. So you're a very expensive admin resources and entrepreneur as a solopreneur. So can you replicate that? Can you automate that? Or can you delegate that out to someone else? So they're probably the most, that's the most common one I see out of the organizations I support. Yeah, Yeah, great. And what are some challenges, opportunities or insights from working in the purpose-led space? I know you've mentioned a few of them in your learnings, but if there's any more that you'd like to share. It's a really interesting time in Australia. I think Victoria was really leading the way when it comes to the social space and social procurement frameworks, and they're doing a great job, but they've seem to have almost slowed down a little bit now. And New South Wales, with the amazing work that Kylie Flamant's doing as the Social Enterprise Council for New South Wales and Australia, she's just powering ahead. And New South Wales is really providing an amazing ecosystem to really create. And looking, I guess, we're in Mianjin in, in Brisbane and Queensland. So it just seems that we've really almost lost a bit of steam. We had some amazing momentum last year with this Social Enterprise World Forum. And it just seems that the government sort of has backed away a little bit and just doesn't recognize social enterprise like other states are. So I just think there's a real risk there that if we don't really wrap around and provide supports to our sector, that it's just going to be a lot harder to scale our sector and recognizing it as just purely as a small business. So that's probably one of the big challenges and opportunities off the back of it. And the other one, especially in Queensland, we've got some of the oldest social enterprises in Australia in Queensland, but we're really still a cottage industry in my mind where we've got a lot of people trying to solve their own problems in their own way in isolation. And we just haven't really broken down ways to, to bring everyone together. And I think the work that Impact Boom do with QSEC to bring everyone together for events and networking in spaces is amazing. And a lot of other organizations like QUT and Griffith and things. But I wonder how we can, you know, a conversation there to really help us level up and just work in collaboration more. Again, focus on the problem we're trying to solve and just get more voices and build a bit of groundswell to really start scaling our levels of impact across Australia. Because it's only going to come from working together rather than working in isolation. Mm, absolutely. Justin, what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating positive social change? 
Ah, oh, there's so many amazing ones. I'm a massive fan of Australian spatial analytics. I've still got a scar from setting up their first tables when we were building the tables in the office over at the new facilities in Brisbane. But just seeing them grow as well, and because I'm a massive disability advocate and work in the sector, turning, I guess, neurodiversity and autism into a superpower really breaks down the preconceived notions around disability and employment. So that's why I really love the work they do. Also, Jeff and Sam that really drive that. They're amazing. One that I uh, don't think they realise their superpower just yet is one called Atlas Soils. Now, they're based up in Townsville, really fascinating business. What they do is they replicate and can convert waste from anything from like material waste, like clothing, couches, or even sewage, sludge waste um, in drains. What they can do is use biodynamic processes to actually expedite what naturally occurs in breakdown over 70 years into three months. Uh, I think the superpower is deploying them into flood areas, damaged areas, cyclone areas as well, use their natural processes and just use the, the out product at the end, the byproduct at the end as a natural fertilizer back on the soils as well. So it's this like quadruple good thing too. So I've done a little bit of work in and around them, but not with them directly, but they're probably one of my favorites. And the other favorite I've got is a, a chap by the name of Tom. He runs Lifecycle Timbers and I describe him as the Steve Irwin of the timber industry. He is so passionate about it. Tom lives with autism as well which I love even more, and we're creating jobs for people in incarceration, First Nations and young adults really facing barriers to mental health and employment. So his superpower is when you cut down trees, typically we only utilise around 60% of that timber, the rest is wasted, which is just extraordinary, right? But then uh, what he can actually do is get the recycling and utilisation rate up to 98% through technology and process and research. So been working instrumentally with him and a few others to make that happen too so i'd love to see that sort of evolve over the next couple of years so amazing thank you and to finish off what are some of the books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners yeah good question i'd say if you're starting out a business from scratch there's an amazing book called the slight edge which is all about doing something small but doing something consistent every single day so the analogy they use is if you drank a can of coke for lunch today that wouldn't have too much of an impact. But if you did a can of Coke every day for the next next year, there might be some major health impacts. So, but doing something positive by reading 10 pages of a book or writing one blog article or one activity or one phone call every day over that year time that where you can escalate and scale your business to is absolutely incredible. I think for those that are really trying to build out a business or uh, enter the market, I'm a massive fan of design thinking and Jean Leaker is probably one of my heroes in that space. She's got a really cost-effective book. It's around $40.00. It's called Designing for Growth Fieldbook, and that just gives you a whole series of tools, ways of thinking, ways of looking at things to really rip apart your own idea. One of my favorite public speakers, an amazing author as well, Michael McQueen. So if you haven't seen him speak live, just find a venue or space that he's speaking at. And he uh, wrote a book a while back called Winning the Battle for Relevance, which is all around evolving, adapting. And he uses like Darwinian theory to talk about you really need to be ahead of the game and constantly evolving. It's just not once enough to do an annual plan. You've got to be constantly evolving your business to, to really tackle the market, especially in an evolving sector like our social impact sector. So they're probably my favourite three. Yeah, fantastic. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been terrific to have you on, sharing your insights and wisdom. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.